It's Wednesday, June 10th. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Chris Hill. Joining me, back by popular demand, Mr. Jason Moser. Thanks for being here. Hey, happy to be here. How's everything going? Everything is going well. We're going we're gonna to dig into some earnings. We've got some retail. I want to talk sort of more broadly about American retail operations starting to open up, and we'll get to those. But let's start with the latest earnings out of Chewy, uh, which is the online pet products company. Reported a loss for the first quarter. Um, revenue looked good, though. Active customers up 33% year over year. And I get that the stock is down 3 4% today. But the backdrop is, this is a stock that even with that drop, it's still up more than 60% year to date. Yeah, I mean that that you know when we look at all of the when we look at all of the earnings reports that have been coming out here over the past earnings season and guidance or, or lack of guidance uh, reflecting the the back half of the year because we just don't really know a lot of what is going on here as far as the pandemic is concerned. I mean there has been a lot of uncertainty and a lot of companies pulling back on on guidance. I mean Chewy is kind of able to really double down on that, which is pretty interesting um, to see. They're 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 able to really kind of take the guidance that they're offering and and even go one step further. And uh, what I mean by that is last quarter when they reported earnings for the for the fourth quarter of the, of their uh, year last year they didn't they didn't offer guidance for for this year at that time they did offer quarterly guidance they didn't offer uh full year guidance this quarter they actually did go in there and they they gave us full year guidance which i i think is really um interesting and i think it's a testament to the merits of this business i mean we talk about essential businesses and and i think chewy qualifies certainly because i mean ultimately this is a business that is helping us keep our pets alive and and for a lot of people myself included you know, our, our pets are, are part of the family. And, and so, I, you know, I, you know, I love the pet market. I mean, it's a massive market opportunity in their S1. They, they listed that market opportunity out for them that they're pursuing at around $70 billion. Uh, $70 billion. Um, and I think this goes back to something we talked about uh, last week, late last week, and that Amazon for a long time really has done a great job in staking their claim in, in this e-commerce world. But what the pandemic did, because things happened so quickly, the pandemic really, I think, marginalized their service a bit. And, and, you know, Amazon's not quite able to live up to those promises that they've been living up to over the past several years. And you know, next day delivery, two day delivery, whatnot. And there are a lot of things you can order right now that just you can't get, you know, in, in the same frame of time. And it's giving, you know, companies like Chewy an opportunity to jump in there and, and prove their worth even more so. And, and we certainly saw that with first quarter sales up 46% from a year ago. And when I talked about that guidance for the full year, um, I mean, they're, they're talking about uh, total revenue in that $6.5 billion range. So, I mean, this is a business that is growing very quickly. And, and frankly, I do understand why. It's a great point about Amazon. And I think that you know, there is there were some people in the financial media. You go back a couple of months, people writing columns about like, you know, they, Amazon has broken the trust of their customer, you know, and I just sort of look at it and and think more in the terms that you just laid out. That it's like, well, yeah, it would have been great if everything, if all the fulfillment issues had been taken care of and that sort of thing. I don't look at it so much as like, well, I no longer trust Amazon. I look at it as Amazon just opened the door for all these other retailers to establish themselves and establish a relationship, a trusted relationship. And in the same way that we talk about streaming entertainment, like, look, 
you're going to have more than one streaming service. It's the same sort of thing. It's like, yeah, it's not that hard to manage multiple online retail accounts, um, <laughs> particularly if you have pets. And it's like, yeah, we'll use Amazon for some stuff. Maybe we'll use Instacart for groceries. You know? And it's like, yeah, and for our pets, we're going to go with Chewy. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, th- I think you're right. I mean, I think, um, it, yeah, it was less about Amazon maybe breaking the trust and, and really more about just that that idea you mentioned. I mean, this is a big opportunity where where we can see more than one winner. And, and you know, the thing I like about Chewy is that they really are pursuing a specific market, right? They're focusing on doing one thing and doing it really well. And, and just to go into some of those other numbers that, that substantiate that, I mean, they added 1.6 million net active customers in the first quarter, and that was more than double their average quarterly pace in 2019. Um, they ended the quarter with 15 million active customers, and that was up 3.7 million compared to the first quarter of 2019, the fastest acceleration of new uh, customer acquisition in the company's history. And then, you know, they have this auto ship function, which essentially just takes the thinking out of it. And Amazon has the same sort of thing, right? Subscribe and save. Uh, I mean, that, that, those auto ship customer sales exceeded $1 billion for the first time in a single quarter. And so, then when you start looking at the fact that they now are keeping the customers that they're bringing in, I mean, there's kind of a Wayfair dynamic here to this business model. No, they're not really making any money right now. But that's okay because you can at least see the path to how they get there. And it's ultimately bringing customers in and then keeping them. And if you're bringing customers in and, and able to get them the, the products they need in a timely fashion and, and at a, you know, a good value, they're going to tend to stick around. And, and you know, with Chewy, I mean, it's not just food. I mean, they're also uh, talking about you know, the, the, the medical supplies, whether you know, it's, it's a heartworm medicine or flea and tick medicine, whatever that might be, too. They, they have that dy- dynamic to the business as well. And, and because of all of this, they're building out their capability. They just launched a new fulfillment center in Charlotte in April. Um, you're starting to see that they're able to pull back a little bit on those acquisition costs. And that's starting to flow more down to the bottom line. Now, they're, they're not to that, to that magical profitability number yet, but they are getting a lot closer. And, and this was a quarter that I think really demonstrated the potential of what this business has. And, and I'll just wrap it up by saying this, you know, for the longest time, I mean, we've used Amazon to get our dog food. Like we have two dogs now and, and, and we, you know, get, get that dog food sent to us and, and it's always worked out well. I, I mean, I can tell you for sure. I mean, I've noticed over the past several months, I mean, it, it's not, ha- it's not been as quick as, as it usually is. I am going to give Chewy a shot. I'm going to give Chewy a try here. And, you know, I have no problem doing it because I feel like maybe this line of work is more important to them than maybe it is to Amazon, right? Amazon does a whole lot of stuff. This is Chewy's focus. So they really want to nail it and get it right. I'm going to give it a shot and see what it's like because, you know, if it is good, then I suspect I'll be one of those auto ship customers in, in quick fashion. Shares of five below, up more than 10% today uh, after the discount retailer issued a loss for the first quarter. Um, not surprising that they came out with a loss. Like so many <laughs> retailers, all these stores closed. You know, They did say, though, that most of the five below locations are, are back open at this point. Yeah, yeah. I think they, they said they've got uh, 90% of the stores back open now, um, and, and they have uh, 920 stores today in 30 states. And I mean, to, to give you an idea of, of what they 
what they see as potential out there. I mean, they, they see a market out there with 2,500 stores. Now, that would be you know a mix of opening up new five belows, uh, along with making some acquisitions along the way and bringing some of those other smaller concepts into their family. But, but regardless, based on their thinking, there's still um, a lot of story to tell here. Now, whether that is the case, uh, I, I'm not entirely sure i mean I, you know, i've been in a five below a couple of times and, and I, I get the i get the value proposition i get i get what they're doing um it does feel like you actually it does feel like that's a story you actually have to set foot in and, and you know they noted in the call that they they were able to roll out this uh curbside pickup which um i mean that that's more based on ordering online and and picking up at the store and, and e-commerce is a is a factor to this business i mean they saw e-commerce sales grow uh over four times versus last year's same quarter. Now, they also noted that that growth has moderated, and, and ultimately, e-commerce is really low single-digit range percentage of, of total sales. But it is it is a part of the business. It's a part of the business that matters. But with that said, I mean, you know, they focused, as many companies have focused now, on getting in cash conservation mode. Um, they increased a line of credit from $50 million to $225 million. Um, they are pulling back on store openings right now. They, they see opening 100 to 120 stores this year, as opposed to uh, the 180 target that they had uh, earlier before the pandemic started. So, I, I mean, this, there's not really anything surprising in the results here. You, you would assume that sales would be down uh, considerably because they had to close for a while. It does seem like they're able to get back up and running here. Um, it, it does sound like there's a big market opportunity that they're pursuing. Uh, so, so you know, I think I, I would put myself as sort of cautiously optimistic at this point regarding this company. But to go back to your point about the importance of getting people in the stores, it does seem like one of those retailers where impulse buys can help raise that average ticket. And I, I just have a hard time believing there are going to be a lot of there are going to be as many impulse buys online as there will be if you're actually in a five below location. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there is there is a there is a, uh, a nature to this business that is sort of impromptu, and and that that is is a that that's a sword that can cut both ways. Um, I'll I'll be interested to see longer term if they're able to make that e-commerce side of the business become a more meaningful uh, driver because they you know they, a good example that. Uh, that, that was made in, in the call. And I think this is important for folks who ever invest in restaurants or retail. You know, we always talk about traffic and same store sales, and, and it goes to the fixed costs that are involved with keeping these stores open. Um, and, and with, with five below, the 25% of their cost of goods uh, sold are fixed. In other words, you know, that's, that's rent, that's Keeping the lights on, the bills paid, insurance, whatnot. So whenever they see traffic fall and they see sales fall, that twenty-five percent cost of goods sold becomes more of a drag on the financial performance. Right? They 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 don't see the same profitability numbers, and it def, it brought gross profit down about a hundred million dollars for the quarter for them. So you know they they always do have to consider the fact that they have fairly high fixed costs in that regard. One way to really offset that beyond just generating traffic is to develop a more robust e-commerce business. Um, and, and given where it is today, at low single digits, I mean, there's clearly the opportunity to make it a bigger part of the business, and, and I think that's going to be a key to their success. Real quick before I let you go, um, I wanted to get your thoughts on just sort of 
You know, what you're watching over the next month or so, uh, you go back maybe six weeks and Kevin Johnson, the CEO at Starbucks, was talking about how his goal was to have all U.S. locations open by early June. It's June 10th. Starbucks actually came out with some updated guidance. Uh, they're at about 95% of locations in the U.S. that are open to one degree or another, um, but they're going to take a $3 billion hit um, in the third quarter, uh, they do expect to, that average weekly cash flow to be positive by the end of Q3. So we'll see how all of that shakes out. But you know, as we start to move into summer, what are the things that you're going to be watching to get clues of how the U.S. economy is recovering? Um, yeah, I mean, it, as, as it pertains to Starbucks, I mean, it, this is a really interesting one because you know we. It's starting to become more apparent the investments they made in that mobile uh, ordering, that mobile offering that they have. Um, it, it is it is good. It's it's certainly something that has helped them manage their way through a difficult time. And just like with with Five Below, I mean, Starbucks obviously maintains a very high fixed cost structure because of all of those stores. Um, in you know, for the longest time, those stores were built out under the notion that you know they were building this third place experience right and that, that was something that we always heard them talk about early on creating this ambiance of, of a place where you can go um not home not work but kind of you know another place where you can go to, to maybe feel like you're at home and yet get some work done and, and drink some coffee or eat some food in the process and I do wonder, longer term, if we're going to see, because you know, we always talk about Starbucks not really having a lot in the way of drive-throughs, right? They're just Starbucks doesn't really have a lot in the way of drive-throughs, and now drive-throughs seem to be like a really, a really big asset for for restaurants and 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 the like to have. I wonder how they're going to view that third place um, mentality in the coming years. I, I, you know, I just because I, I feel like the longer we go with. You know, like Northern Virginia, we're going to enter phase two here on Friday. And phase two ultimately means that restaurants can operate at 50% capacity. Now, I mean, ideally, we get back to normal at some point where we're just, you know, restaurants can operate at 100% capacity and, and things move forward. But it, it does make me wonder with Starbucks going forward, how are they going to be viewing that third place mentality? Do they ultimately go back to really focusing on that? Or. Does this kind of, is this sort of the the catalyst that that sort of takes them away maybe from that third place mentality, in 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 more on just the customer centric omni channel kind of idea? Be wherever you customer your customers want you to be, right? And and if customers are ordering mobile, swinging by and picking it up, or if customers are asking for drive through, like maybe customers don't really want that third place anymore. And if that's the case, that's fine. But that certainly is going to impact not only their store opening strategy, but also how they're designing stores and and the costs that go into maintaining those stores. Because you know we've seen all sorts of companies out there talking about uh, looking at some concessions on rent through their landlords because of, because of this difficult time because of, you know business business has, has been uh, stifled. And, and Starbucks was no exception there. Starbucks went to their landlords asking for some rent concessions. Now now the flip side of that, people might say, how in the world could Starbucks be in such a financial position where they're demanding rent concessions? I mean, I'm sure they're not. But you know, I can understand why they're trying, and so maybe that is something that going forward they think, you know, what we're not going to be so focused on this third place. We're going to be more focused on mobility and omni-channel and being where our customers want want us to be, and and that certainly could adjust the cost structure of this business longer term. 
And, and who knows, maybe it works out. It gives them a chance to open even more locations and more places at lower costs, drive more traffic, and ultimately become more profitable. It's interesting because we have talked a lot about, well, what is the future of office space and commercial real estate and thinking about downtown Manhattan and, you know, is that going to become a ghost town now? But you raise an interesting point about whether it's Starbucks or, or any large national, you know, whether it's fast casual, uh, any kind of restaurant concept. What does the future of that look like? Are they going to be reimagining them and, you know... Uh, I think back to Ron Shake at Panera Bread when he came out years ago with his comment about, you know, uh, coming to Panera Bread is like entering a mosh pit. And he, <laughs> he laid out this two year plan. He said, we're going to improve the experience inside. And that worked for Panera Bread. And yeah. they um, obviously they didn't know the pandemic was coming, but they <clears throat> inadvertently ended up building this really great business that was optimized for delivery and pickup. And I, I think you raise a great point about Starbucks, which uh, in the heyday of Howard Schultz running the company in, in the 90s, it really was that third place concept. And I'm, it won't surprise me if Kevin Johnson comes out you know, in the next 12 months with some kind of similar comment about like, well, future locations, are gonna, we're going to have more drive through and they're going to be more optimized for pickup. Yeah, and I mean they're just they're easier to staff. I mean, you know, they 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 eliminate a lot of the concerns that we're seeing right now, right? Social distancing becomes less and less of an issue. Sanitary conditions are clearly uh, you know held to a better standard. There there are, there are a lot of advantages that come from it. Um, it but yeah, ultimately it, it, at the end of the day, it's a matter of what customers want, and it, and I just can't help but feel like maybe the customer of the future maybe doesn't care as much about that third place as the customer of, of the mid nineteen nineties. Jason Moser, thanks for being here. Thank you. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against, so don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's going to do it for this edition of Market Foolery. The show is mixed by Dan Boyd. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you tomorrow.